amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. disaster like the ongoing situation in texas with hurricane harvey it presents us with an opportunity to do a few things number one to demonstrate charity and i want to talk a little bit about what that actually means because this is one of those words one of those concepts that gets tossed around rather liberally but i don't think people necessarily truly understand the nature of charity the prerequisites the moral prerequisites for being a charitable person. And that's the other opportunity that a situation like this gives us, is the opportunity to appreciate our lives, to appreciate the, the things that that are truly meaningful, lasting, that have value, and to reflect upon what it is that we really care about and what it is that we really ought to be doing. I'm going to talk about some little ideas like that tonight on Closing Argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, com, and your iHeartRadio app, two ways to stream the program. We are here 9 to 11 weeknights. Appreciate you tuning in. 651-989-5855, the number to join us. You can catch up on the podcasts on your iHeartRadio app. Just do a search for Closing Argument and catch up with all the shows we've done to date. Brad Omlin taking your calls and producing the show. Just kind of going to go off the cuff here for a little bit. Let's set the tone with just the the up-to-the-minute situation down there in Texas from the Pioneer Press. Actually, the Star Tribune Associated Press reprint. Floodwaters reached the roof lines of single-story homes Monday, and people could be heard pleading for help from inside as Harvey poured rain on the Houston area for a fourth consecutive day after a chaotic weekend of rising water and rescues. The nation's fourth largest city was still mostly paralyzed by one of the largest downpours in U.S. history. And there was no relief in sight from the storm that spun into Texas as a Category 4 hurricane then parked over the Gulf Coast. With nearly two more feet of rain expected to drop of the 30-plus inches in some places, authorities worried that the worst might be yet to come. Harvey has been blamed, blamed for at least three confirmed deaths, including a woman killed Monday in the town of Porter, northeast of Houston, when a large oak tree dislodged by heavy rains toppled onto her trailer home. A Houston television station reported Monday that six family members were believed to have drowned in their van uh, that was swept away by floodwaters. The KHOU report was attributed to three family members the station did not identify. No bodies have been recovered. Police Chief Art uh, Acevato told the Associated Press that he had no information about the report but said that he's really worried about how many bodies were going to be found. 
According to the station, four children and their grandparents were feared dead after a van hit high water Sunday when crossing a bridge in uh, the Greens Bayou area. And it goes on with similar accounts of devastation, death, and hardship. And, you know, this is only the tip of the iceberg. It, it's it's the, the coming days, the recovery, the, the ongoing struggle for survival and for rebuilding and recovery that's that's going to bring to the surface the the real need that's going to emerge here from our fellow countrymen down in Texas. And so I want to talk a little bit about the morality of this situation. And it's important, I think, to start off, you know, why? Why talk about morality? Well, because it's being evoked, right? It's being evoked in terms of the way in which we respond, both privately and publicly, both through private charity and our, our public governmental programs and the politics surrounding all of that. It's important to understand why it is that we, we do care, to acknowledge why we do care, and then derive from that recognition proper moral principles, proper moral conclusions, and improper ones. Because both are being floated right now. There are good ideas about what's right to do and, and what's right to think in a time like this. And there are some ideas that are actually very destructive that are being forwarded. And uh, as you might imagine, they have direct connection to certain political philosophies. So let's start with what I hold to be the right way to think about a situation like this. Why do you care? Let's start there. Let's start with the personal. To the extent that you find yourself moved by these stories that I just recited to you, to the extent that you find yourself moved by the images that you see on your television of people encountering hardship, of families displaced, of homes destroyed, of communities devastated, what is it that actually motivates that? It may seem like a question that, where the answer goes without saying, but I don't think it does. I don't think it does go without saying. Allow me to suggest to you that the reason why you feel anything at all for other people in times of hardship is because you relate to that hardship. You project yourself into the image that you see, into the story that you read. You imagine the people you care about. You imagine your children. You imagine your home. You imagine your life's work falling apart, the memories you've built being swept away, literally. And that is what engenders, that is the, the impetus upon which you base your compassion for others. And this is a, this is a magical thing because what it creates is a, a kind of what Ayn Rand called a benevolence, an instant fraternal benevolence, a, a real, and this is going to sound hippy-dippy, <laughs> but a, a brotherly love, right? That agape brotherly love, that fraternal love of countrymen. It's rooted not in a sacrificial desire to give to someone else. And, and, and this, is, this is something that's really important to point out right now in a situation like this. Because a lot of folks, and, and I'll give you an example here. 
there was a tweet by an organization called Charitable Humans. And uh, there's two tweets here that were pointed out on social media, one of which occurred unrelated to the hurricane and uh, was just kind of a general statement of their organizational purpose. And then another that they tweeted out as the hurricane was taking place. The first one was, they said, quote, we're a socially progressive tax-exempt nonprofit harnessing the power of passionate people to accelerate the change and expand the impact of good deeds. Unsurprisingly, they're out of Seattle, Washington, right? And, and on its face, those words aren't in any way offensive, right? I mean, we can, we can start to infer some of the ideology that's undergirding their mission by the words that they choose to use, socially progressive, et cetera. But onto itself, pretty innocent. Here's what they have to say in response to the ongoing chaos down in Texas. This is a tweet from a charitable organization, a tax-exempt nonprofit. Quote, I just can't bring myself to even consider providing aid to any red state. Let them clean up their own mess. Now, this is interesting on a number of levels, right? It, it's, it's interesting to me primarily because it, it undermines the sentiment here that I don't want to help somebody who I disagree with actually undermines the entire argument for the very program that they're affirming, right? Because the whole basis of having a public response to a situation like this, having something like FEMA, not just as a, as a insurance or a bolster, but as the primary mechanism by which we respond to a situation like this. The moral argument for it is, when people have a need, that need ought to be provided for. And it ought to be provided for equally, regardless of who the person is, regardless of the background, regardless of things like race, gender, sexual orientation, national origin, what have you. Because how you feel as an individual about somebody else and their values should play no role in whether or not your, the fruit of your labor is used to provide them with relief. That's the principle. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. And yet, that very principle is undermined here by the expression of, I just can't bring myself to even consider providing aid to any red state. Let them clean up their own mess. Isn't that a betrayal of the very premise upon which your program helping them clean up their mess is built? And this, this is evocative of one of the criticisms that used to be bantied about regarding Ayn Rand. You know, she was notoriously against all government programs, all entitlements, all, all redistribution of wealth, including Social Security. And yet, she cashed her Social Security checks, which is often cited as evidence of hypocrisy on her part. 
You know, how dare you? You know, clearly she's a fraud, right? If she really believed that we shouldn't have these programs, then she never would have cashed the check. And this is a similar manifestation by this, this organization, Charitable Humans, which pretty horrible marketing, by the way. But it's a similar sentiment, right? If you're in a red state that votes Republican, votes conservative, then you don't have any moral basis upon which to claim help from an organization like FEMA because conservatives are against government programs, against wealth redistribution, et cetera. Well, there's a couple of problems with that. Number one is this prison food analogy that I like to evoke on occasion. It's the idea, let's put it another way. To say that the people in Texas, let's say to, to the extent that they vote Republican or hold conservative ideals, to say that they therefore don't deserve to get any sort of relief from an organization like FEMA is similar to saying that a prisoner doesn't deserve to eat prison food or have the heat turned on in a cell unless he provides moral sanction to his warden. Unless he says, I'm so glad to be in this prison and I'm so glad that you're keeping me in chains and that I have to rely upon you for my food and I have to rely upon you for my heat. Unless he's willing to say that, he doesn't deserve to eat. That's the moral argument here. Ayn Rand cashed her Social Security checks because she was being taxed to provide them, right? You know, I send my kids to public school because I live in an economic context where that's the option that I, that's available to me. If I lived in a free society where my needs were met by the market, who knows what, what sorts of options would be available? We don't know. That's the great tragedy of government intervention. We have no idea what iPhone-style innovations may have manifest in something like education or something like disaster relief, but for the fact that government has taken a monopoly in those particular areas. And the, the greatest tragedy here, and I, I, I want to open up the phones and hear, hear from you guys at 651-989-5855. The real tragedy here is how reliance upon this sort of compulsive, you know, this claim that you're somehow, you, have, you get moral credit. You're somehow more worthwhile because you're willing to hold a gun to somebody else's head and take their money in order to redistribute to somebody who finds themselves in a place of need. What that deprives all parties concerned of is actual community, actual relationship, actual fraternal love, what I started off the hour talking about. Real charity is motivated by that link, that link between you and the other person, that recognition of your values embodied in their lives. And when you, when you act in charity towards another human being, it's an affirmation that creates something that can only take place in a context of choice. The left purposely, maliciously, evilly steals that. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 1035 FM, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com.
The left is morally helpless, it seems sometimes. It, it, it really is comical and tragic the way that they step on their own rhetorical feet a lot of the time, right? Like, you're a horrible person if you're not willing, as the owner of a bakery, to bake a cake for uh, two people who are engaged in nuptials that fundamentally violate your most sacred beliefs, right? Your conscience. And, you know, I'm purposely dancing around the word religion because I don't think religion is the thing that grants some sort of uh, sacred status to that choice. It's not your religious freedom that matters. It's your freedom freedom, right? It's, it's the freedom of conscience of which freedom of religion is merely a derivative. You know, it could be because I believe in this sacred book that was written thousands of years ago, or it could be because I have a completely irrational feeling that developed uh, in the aftermath of a bad meal this morning, right? It, the, the reason is irrelevant. You own your life, therefore you get to control how it is utilized. That's, that's the basis that we fall back upon in order to defend that particular choice. But be that as it may, that's a little aside. The left is horrified at that concept, the idea that somebody might not bake a cake for a gay wedding, right? And yet, at the first opportunity they get, they will lead national boycotts against businesses who fail to keep faith with their prescribed ideology, with no sense of irony whatsoever that it's the same thing, right? And th they justify it in the same way that they justified Antifa's actions in Charlottesville. Ba basically, their argument is, yeah, but we're right. We're right, and the other people are wrong. Our ideas are better than their ideas. Therefore, we live under a completely different rule of law than they do. They don't get to choose their relationships. We do. They don't get to speak. We do. This is the double standard that's employed. And it's a double standard that's being employed once more in response to Hurricane Harvey and the concept of both charity and government relief and, and the moral weighing of the two. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, 651-989-5855. Let's go to George in Minneapolis. Welcome to the program, sir. George, how you doing? George, one more time. I must have left him absolutely dumbfounded. That's what happened. All right. So let's pivot from the moral questions regarding Hurricane Harvey to a uh, somewhat related story here out of uh, MSN. As Hurricane Harvey nears the Texas coast, Thousands of people are evacuating along the state's major highways to escape 125-mile-per-hour winds and catastrophic flooding that the U.S. government predicts will accompany the storm. In an unusual move, Border Patrol checkpoints, which check individuals' documents to make sure they are legal residents of the U.S., will stay open as the storm approaches. The Customs and Border Patrol Age or Protection Agency on Friday in an emailed statement said, U.S. Border Patrol checkpoints in the path of Hurricane Harvey in Texas will close as state highways close. These closures will occur in a manner that ensures the safety of the traveling public and our agents. Border Patrol checkpoints that are outside of the path of the hurricane will remain operational. 
CPB will remain vigilant against any effort by criminals to exploit disruptions caused by the storm. Uh, in previous storms, uh, including Hurricane Matthew in 2016 and Hurricane Isaac in 2012, the Border Patrol Agency temporarily suspended its enforcement procedures. Ahead of Hurricane Matthew, the Department of Homeland Security said there will be no immigration enforcement initiatives or checkpoints because immigration and border agencies' uh, highest priorities are to promote life-saving and life-sustaining activities, the safe evacuation of people who are leaving the impacted area, the maintenance of public order, the prevention of the loss of property to the extent possible, and the speedy recovery of the region. That strikes me as inappropriate uh, prioritization. You know, as I, as I read this over, you know, it was one of those things that I, I didn't come to an immediate position on. But the more I thought about it, the more it occurred to me as being somewhat analogous to the hurricanes coming in or there's a tornado warning. All right. Let's let's keep it local. Right? You're driving down I-94. There's a tornado warning in the area. You see the funnel cloud on the horizon and in your rearview mirror on come the cherries. Right. The red and blue. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details flashing lights and you get pulled over for going 10 miles over the speed limit. Now that, that very well in any other context that would be appropriate. At least it would be uh, legally defensible, right? But in that situation where there's an immediate threat to your life, which is a little bit more important. And in fact, the actual basis for, right? Like that's the, whether you agree with it or not, the basis for the speed limit and the basis for the enforcement of the speed limits is supposedly the sanctity of life, right? Like we're trying to affect the safety of the roadways. Well, in a situation where there's an imminent threat of catastrophic weather, the the safety concern immediately switches to that focus. And that seems to be the similar way that we ought to be thinking uh, regarding Hurricane Harvey. I'm not sure why border enforcement is something that was ongoing during the storm. Let's go to Pete in Bloomington. Welcome to the program. Hey, welcome again, Walter. Uh, listening again. And uh, I have a friend down in Corpus, and they, they blessed. We were praying for him, me and uh, three pastors that Corpus would be missed, and they were. Uh, so that was an answer prayer, but uh, just these people saying don't help these people. Uh, most of those people that really need the help are the people who actually voted for the Democrats. So it's kind of ironic they would say not help them. Not only that, I think you're well aware of this. Texas provides more money. Uh, they're the most in black of any state. I got a feeling a lot of those people who are saying not help them, they're probably in states that are the most in debt, like California and Illinois. And ironically, they're the ones saying. Don't help these people yet. Texas donates more money to this 
country and keeps us going. So some food for thought for people. Yeah, it's the the audacity is really beyond the pale of on on the on the first on the front half of the transaction, basing the concept conflating charity with a government program. You know, the the audacity to think that you somehow gain moral credit, that you you are credited with good points, with brownie points in heaven or something because you support the forcible taxation of other people in order to redistribute their money. But then to further that in a situation like this, the audacity to suggest that you as somebody who's not giving, right? As as somebody who's only giving is composed of that taxation acting as though you ought to have some sort of say over who gets helped and who doesn't, which, again, is is regardless of how you feel about these programs, if you believe in equality under the law, if you believe in everybody being treated equally regardless of all their statuses, then that tweet is a violation of that sentiment, you would think. Yeah, I agree with you there, Walter, and I think uh... – one of these things, these people that, you know, they say all these platitudes they stand for, but what we're really finding out is they're willing to throw them away because a lot of them are just filled with hate, you know. Yeah. Just their their ideology trumps everything, and they become hateful of others who don't support their ideology, which is kind of crazy if you think about it. <laughs> it is. I, I appreciate your point and your call, Pete. Thanks for, for joining us tonight. I want to expound upon Pete's point there when we return. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. We've been talking about Hurricane Harvey and the aftermath, which will be ongoing for quite some time. And what it tells us, the object lesson that it serves as demonstrating certain moral truths, which of course, have application well beyond the current moment and, and certainly in our political discourse and our ongoing conversation and battle, cultural battle over how we ought to be governed. This is Closing Argument. My name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, com. your iHeartRadio app, two ways to stream the program, 9 to 11 weeknights. You can also catch up on the podcasts right there in the iHeartRadio app just do a search for Closing Argument. 651-989-5855, the number to join us, Brad Omlin, taking those calls, producing the show. Our caller, Pete, in the, the last segment, had something very interesting to say in contrasting the, the right with the left, uh, particularly in the context of uh, some particular leftist response to Hurricane Harvey, which has been, in, in some cases, to explicitly wish that uh, the folks in Texas not be helped in the aftermath of this disaster on account of their politics, on account of their ideas. Uh, and, and what Pete had to say about that is that it's, they're filled with hate, right? Which seems like a, on its face, pretty, pretty simple, simplistic statement, right? The left is filled with hate. But it's true, right? Like fundamentally, fundamentally, that's what they are. That's what they offer is hatred, hatred. Hatred of something specific. Hatred of the very thing which motivates actual charity. Hatred of life. Is that hyperbole? Have I gone too far saying the left hates life? I, I don't think so. I don't think so. You, when you go back and you look at the, the objective case for individual rights, uh, as best articulated in my 
opinion by Ayn Rand. Life has certain requirements, and human life in particular has certain requirements. Fundamentally, the, the condition required in order for human life to continue and to thrive and to be improved over time is the condition of liberty. You have to be free. You have to be free to utilize your mind, to apply reason to tasks at hand in pursuit of values in order to perpetuate and enhance your life. That's the requirement of life, right? Left's against that. They don't want you making your decision. They don't even want you conceiving of your own values. And they certainly don't want you applying your values to any decisions regarding how your life ought to be disposed of, right? Because that's, that's what we're talking about. When we talk about the, the property is something that's undersold in our culture. You know, people think, well, you know, you could just replace it, right? You can just go out and earn it again. You know, if somebody steals something from you, you hear this evoked a lot in, in the context of self-defense debates. You know, you shouldn't shoot somebody because they're trying to steal your car, for instance, because that their life is worth more than that car. Well, it's not about the car and what the car is worth onto itself versus their life. It's about what my life is worth versus their life because their, their, their theft of the car is not an attack upon the car, it's an attack upon me, and very specifically, an attack upon my life. Fundamentally, what's the difference between stealing something that took me half a year to earn and imprisoning me for half a year, wrongfully, enslaving me for half a year? The answer is nothing, nothing, and yet, Theft through public policy, theft through the moral sanction of government is the left's entire platform. And the thing which motivates it is the same thing that motivates that car thief. And it's hate. It's a desire to destroy your values. To, and, and worse, to benefit from, to leech off of the product of your labor. Let's go to Anthony in St. Paul, see how he's feeling tonight. Welcome to the program. Hey, thank you so much for getting to me. I'm feeling all right. Um, you had a nice little rant there going on about uh, with, your, with the car. That was very well said. Uh, what I want to talk about is Hurricane Harvey and kind of go, kind of sort of talking about what Pete said. But just the hypocrisy of the left is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I see, I see people left and right, and I'm and I'm, I'm quoting a Facebook post I saw today. Um, I got um, somebody on my Facebook feed said that, you know, we don't, I don't really care about what happened in Texas because, you know, something happened in Brazil last year. Nobody really cared about that. And there's people that are like, yeah, yeah, screw Texas. They voted for Trump anyway, and they're stupid. They deserve what they get and blah, 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 this and that. And I'm going to give you an honorary black card for saying that. It's just stupid. It's just absolutely stupid. You understand that Houston had no, wanted nothing to do with Trump. Like, these people are just ignorant. And they have no morals. But yet, they could call out President Bush during the country's, literally the country's fastest female organization for a, net, for a catastrophic disaster. Like, they could call him out, and they could call Trump out for not getting in the way. But they're okay with their own state dying just because, you know, people, they disagree with the politics? It's, it's utter madness. Here's what's so comical. Here's, here's what's so comical about it, Anthony. 
is by by engaging in in those sorts of attacks and and you know wishing that that Texans basically wishing that people would die. That's basically what they're wishing for, right? Wishing that people died in the aftermath of tragedy for having the audacity to disagree with them politically. Um, what they're actually doing, comically enough, is betraying their own espoused philosophy, right? Because the 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 philosophy which motivates or which undergirds the left wing is the the moral what what they float as the moral value of sacrifice in other words they maintain that in order to gain moral credit you have basically they're selling you the same thing that the aztec priest was you know 400 years ago right that in order to gain some sort of moral credibility you have to be willing to kill you have to be willing to sacrifice something of value towards something that has no value, right? So in other words, you know, when they, when they say that it, it's, not, it's not enough for, for private charity, you get in this, this argument all the time with leftists, it's not enough to rely on private charity because specifically people might not be willing to, and you just brought it up with the whole Brazil comparison, right? People might not be willing to provide charity to everyone in every circumstance, no matter what, equally, well, yeah, because we have different values. And when I choose to engage in charity, yeah, go ahead. I don't know if I'll have time. I just want to say, well, as much as and I truly value everything you say, as much as I like your opinion and everything you have to say, you, you understand these people have, they take no responsibility. They have no intellectual integrity. And to be honest, I think right now being a, being a liberal, it's, just, it's, it's a mental illness. These people, like, they all should get Darwin Awards. You can't, you can't sit here and, and try to rationalize why these people are stupid. These are the same people that will willingly share fake news and say, well, it might as well be true, so I'm just going to keep it. So here's—let me push back a little bit. Let me push back a little bit because I, I understand where you're coming from, and I've shared that, that sentiment and that sense of frustration— on more than one occasion in the past. But here, here's the deal. That may be true of some people, but it's important to acknowledge that undergirding all of this on the left is a conscientious, well-thought-out, intentional philosophy that people are actively promoting, that people have written books about articulating, you know, that, that philosophers have made their name formulating. And it's, a, it's an anti-life, anti-reason anti-freedom philosophy and we have to acknowledge that and treat it seriously because it is seriously being utilized against us i appreciate your call as always anthony we do have to go to a break closing argument my name is walter hudson twin cities news talk am 11 fm twin cities news talk.com so in the midst of all our uh, recrimination regarding hurricane harvey I slipped in a story there regarding the Border Patrol and the fact that immigration is still being enforced amidst uh, evacuations and relief efforts taking place, which, you know, in some cases may be appropriate, but in, when, when there are immediate threats to life, maybe push pause for a second, maybe just, you know, for a couple of days, maybe a week or so, we can get back to it uh, once the immediate danger has passed. Kind of related to that. Of course, uh, over the weekend, President Donald Trump pardoned Sheriff Joe Arpaio 
Uh, and, you know, this is a story that, you know, there's some stories that I can kind of, at this, at this point, in a day-in to day-out basis, knowing that I have to come in and do this show for a couple hours every night, there are certain stories. I can kind of have gotten a, a feel for the news cycle, and I can I kind of have a sense of when a story is starting to develop and manifest and that I'm eventually going to have to talk about it. And sometimes that's a, a welcome development because I know it's going to provide an opportunity to make a point that I'm passionate about. And other times I find myself kind of wishing that it wouldn't develop to the point where I actually am called upon to address it. And this is one of those. Like, I have not wanted to talk about the Joe Arpaio thing, um, mostly because a couple of reasons. One, I'm not entirely sure how I feel about Joe Arpaio. And and two, I, I just generally don't like talking about immigration, not because I I have particularly strong feelings about it one way or the other, but because it's it's such a it's such a it's an issue that people tend to skip over rational consideration and go immediately into their their predictable corners of what it is that whatever dogma it is that they're preaching. And I'm just not typically interested in in digging too deep into that. But we've reached a point now with the Joe Arpaio story where there actually is something worthwhile to consider here. So the story from Reuters here is that Republican Speaker of the House of Representatives, Paul Ryan, this is quoting from their story, said on Saturday that Trump was wrong to pardon Joe Arpaio. Trump announced on Friday Friday that he was uh, pardoning Joe Arpaio, an anti-immigration hardliner found guilty last month for flouting a 2011 court order that barred officers from detaining Latino motorists solely on the suspicion that they were illegal immigrants. Law enforcement officials have a special responsibility to respect the rights of everyone in the United States. We should not allow anyone to believe that responsibility is diminished by this pardon, Ryan said in a statement. The speaker does not agree with the decision, Ryan spokesman Doug Andrus said. Some other prominent Republicans, including Arizona Senator John McCain and former Florida Governor Jeb Bush, have also criticized Trump for the controversial pardon. Now, here's the thing. When I read something like this, I tend to have the same reaction that you do, and it's it's kind of a normal human response. I see names like Paul Ryan, John McCain, Jeb Bush, and I associate all of my emotional responses to those guys and their names and the things that they've said and done in the past with this situation, I think, well, if they if they don't like the part of the maybe I should. Maybe I should like it because they don't. Because they're the establishment, right? John McCain, Paul Ryan, th- those those are the bad guys. Those are GOPE, right? Well, here's a piece from the grassroots, from somebody who actually lives down there, who actually lived in the county where Joe Arpaio served as sheriff and uh, was a conservative Republican activist for many years. He wrote, President Trump asked the crowd last week in his Phoenix rally, was Sheriff Joe convicted for doing his job? Had the hall been filled with an accurate cross-section of Arpaio's former constituents, the answer would have been a resounding no. Nevertheless, Trump pardoned the ex-sheriff on Friday, though he had not been sentenced and had shown zero remorse for his crime. America's self-proclaimed toughest sheriff was convicted of criminal contempt of court last month after refusing to obey court orders. This most recent legal battle involved numerous federal attempts to get Arpaio to stop racially profiling residents of Maricopa County. Not only did Arpaio refuse, he bragged about it. Nobody is higher than me. I am the elected sheriff by the people. I don't serve any governor or the president. 
Now, I want to pause there for a moment to acknowledge that I, I'm quite familiar with this concept of the sheriff being the the highest elected official in the land. And uh, I don't think, and, and I'm kind of speaking, I'm kind of on a on a side channel here to my Tea Party friends. I don't necessarily disagree with some of the underlying philosophical ideas there, but uh, be that as it may, consider what follows here in this account from this, uh, this fellow conservative of ours down there in Arizona. He writes, many conservatives outside of Arizona celebrated his headline-grabbing antics, but they don't know the real story. I'm a conservative Maricopa County resident who has lived under Arpaio throughout his decades-long reign. Arpaio was never a conservative. He just played one on TV. I saw his love of racial profiling firsthand, especially on my daily commutes through the tiny Hispanic community of Guadalupe, Arizona. When conducting these sweeps, helicopters buzzed houses, an 18-wheeler marked mobile command center was planted in the center of town, and countless sheriff's deputies stood on the roadsides peering into the cars rolling by. Being Caucasian, I was always waved through. The drivers ahead and behind of me weren't so lucky. Washington's laxity in border enforcement led many right-of-center Americans to appreciate more robust enforcement, even when it regularly included authoritarian scenes, such as the one in Guadalupe. But even if you turn a blind eye to the human cost of such race-based enforcement, Arpaio's other misdeeds are legion. And when we come back, we're going to go through this list of other misdeeds. And I just want to preface it here. With the importance of understanding, there's always a difference between the way people are perceived nationally, you know, particularly in politics. You get these up-and-coming uh, political stars, and they say a couple of things on TV, or they do a couple of things that grab headlines, and they gain a lot of fans on a national stage. But if you really want to understand what they're all about, you have to talk to the people who've known them for years. You have to talk to the constituents who've lived under their reign. And that's what we're considering here tonight on Closing Argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, 651-989-5855 to join us tonight. TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. 